Glad that you could join us on this last day of the year, as, as Joe said, to enter into the worship of Christ together. Uh, really thought it would be a beautiful thing for us to share the Lord's Supper together as, as family today, as we end the year, and then next week, we'll share the Lord's Supper together as we start the year, so I hope you'll be able to join us for that as well, but what I'd like to do today is introduce you to two people from the pages of the scriptures that I hope will really help prepare us uh, to celebrate the table together uh, this morning. And you'll find their story in the back end of Luke chapter 2. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, and I will, would like to pray for our time together as you find your way there. Let's, let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us this morning. Be kind to us by your spirit and, and bring your word to us in a way that helps us. That helps us love you more and follow you better. This day, in anticipation of, of a fresh year that you've granted to us, that waits for us. Um, indeed, may we love you more and follow you more faithfully because of what you're about to say to us by your spirit and your word. So come, Spirit of God, and do what you do best. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the article that I ran across starts this way. It says, The world is peppered with people who can coax small seeds of inspiration into richly flowering ideas that put humankind on a better path. And then there's that guy in Des Moines. Um, it says, The Iowa State Patrol made his acquaintance at the back end of a chase on Interstate 80 um, October 15th of this year. Local TV station reported that shortly before 7.30 a.m., a trooper tried to pull this guy over for a traffic violation. But instead of stopping, he stepped on the gas and triggered what turned into a 10 to 15 minute pursuit um, there in Des Moines. Additional officers joined in. It all ended when he left the interstate and a pit maneuver forced the fleeing car and driver to a stop near Des Moines Elementary School. When asked why he refused to stop, the 46-year-old at the helm of this idea told authorities that leading police on a chase was just something on his bucket list. <laughs> Iowa State Patrol Sergeant Scott Bright, who's a 28-year veteran of law enforcement, told the Associated Press he had never heard of such an excuse. Um, but the, it gets even more interesting as the story unfolds. It says, according to the list of things being sorted out by people in suits and uniforms, the car didn't belong to the driver, the driver was driving with someone else's license, and he was on parole at the time he hit the gas on his bucket list quest. Formal charges are pending. So it may be more than a bucket list was driving our, our driver. But I wonder this morning, how many of you if you, you don't mind a little show of hand, how many of you have a bucket list? At least kind of an informal one. Some things you'd love to do. Bucket list, the, the term came into being about 10 years ago from a movie by the same title. Um, and the idea is that there's a list of things you'd like to do before you kick the bucket, right? Before you end this life. And so I, if you do have a bucket list, my hope is that you have better things on your list than police chase um, this morning. Well, what we want to do today is I want to introduce you to a couple of people, and their list is real interesting. Um, what, what if you're on your list, you could only have one thing? If you could only have one thing on your bucket list, what would your one thing be? 
And that's the situation of the two people that we're going we're gonna to watch in Luke 2 today. Um, at the closing of the Christmas account in Luke's gospel, we meet two people who seem to be living just, just for one thing. They want one thing before they die. So following Jesus' birth, we pick up our story in Luke 2, verse 21. It says, at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what's happening here, at the age of eight days, Jesus is circumcised, which is an act of obedience to the law of Moses in the Old Testament. He is given the name Jesus, which is an act of obedience to the angel's command, if you remember the story. And then at the, at the age of about 40 days, Jesus' parents take, travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's a short distance, just a few, handful of miles. Um, and they go to the temple to again obey the law and offer the required sacrifices for Mary's purification and to offer Jesus to the Lord as their firstborn, which again is, is in keeping with the law. Um, now, all these details seem really insignificant to us if you just read, them, read through them, but they're full of insights. And let me just show you a few of them. First of all, when you read this story, you really pick up on the fact that Mary and Joseph um, are righteous folk, right? Um, they obey God's instructions. It's what, every time we see them, it's what they are doing. For instance, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, we read that on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and then she, the mother, shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. And you can see the parallels here. They are precisely following the ancient laws of Leviticus here. Um, and these are the kinds, we're going to see it throughout our story today, these are the kinds of people that God entrusts his most sacred tasks to. People who are righteous, people who walk in his ways, are people God loves to use. Not necessarily people of station or of means. And that's really the second insight we, we gain from this, from this passage Mary and Joseph are likely poor, right? Again, back in Leviticus chapter 12, we see this verse in verse 8. It says, um, If she, the mother of the child, cannot afford a lamb to offer, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So, here we have Mary and Joseph unable to afford a lamb, evidently, because they offer the, the two birds instead. They're, they're extremely righteous people, but they're also probably on the poor side of things. 
We also see here that Jesus is identified as Mary's firstborn, which he was. He was literally, physically, her firstborn son. But the imagery is much, much richer than that throughout the New Testament because Jesus will later on be referred to as, as God's firstborn. For instance, in the book of Hebrews, we studied this year, writing about Christ, it says, again, when, when God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And so it's, it's not a, that Jesus was born first at this point in time, but firstborn has come to mean more about Jesus' rank than about his birth order, that he is over the angels. He's over all of creation. That's why it calls him the firstborn of creation, over creation in, in the book of Colossians. Um, Jesus is set apart here as having a unique relationship with, with God as his father, possessing all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of God's heir. He's the firstborn. And, you know, when Jesus participates in all these rituals, you know, a sin offering and a burnt offering and a, and a ransom offered for payment for your firstborn, in no way does it imply that Jesus was sinful and needed a sacrifice on his behalf. But instead, his participation in all of these temple rituals, according to the Old Testament, were pointers to what he was about to do with his life's work. I like the way uh, commentator Walter Hendrickson put it. He said, Jesus had no personal guilt, but had of his own free will taken upon himself the sin of the world. Was the redemption fee paid at this time a symbol of the infinitely greater ransom to which the Savior was going to refer when he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? So, Jesus has entered the temple and his parents are offering the sacrifices that the law required. And now I'd like to, he has two encounters with two different people while he's in the temple that I want us to think about today as we prepare our hearts to approach the table. It's Jesus' 40th day in verse 25. Let me read the whole entirety of the rest of this account for you. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, he says to Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was 
A second encounter, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, two really fascinating encounters, really unique encounters uh, that happen when they bring Jesus to the temple for this uh, ritual, according to the Old Testament. And, you know, I've been, a, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I have done lots of baby dedications, and I have never seen a stranger come up, grab a baby, snatch a baby away from a mom, and say, all right, Lord, now I can die because I've seen this baby. That never happens. Okay, has never happened in a child dedication here at North Wake uh, in, in the history of the church. Um, it's just, it's another one of these extraordinarily unique events that's pointing out who Jesus is. Okay. Simeon makes it clear. He's the Christ who is bringing salvation to us. And clearly this is God's doing. Um, this whole encounter in the temple, it's marked by God's work. You know, we read in the opening verses. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb and is to be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Everything is unfolding according to God's plan. In keeping with three times, it says, according to the law, according to the law, according to the law. And we see clearly it's by the Spirit's prompting that Simeon says what he does. Look at verses 25 to 27. Three times it says at the end of verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit in the temple okay without question god's fingerprints are all over this encounter in the temple okay god is at work here according to his word by his spirit and and you come away thinking these are really righteous witnesses to this event you know, we've already seen that with respect to Joseph and Mary and the way they kept the law. But look how Simeon and Anna are described. In verse 25, it says, uh, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation or the comforting of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And then Anna, down in verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Okay, these folk are righteous people. And as such, they've got some street cred when it comes to what they're saying to us about who Jesus is. Right? They are reliable, spiritually mature witnesses and Luke wants us to trust what they're saying to us about who this child is okay. to let it affect us 
to shape what we believe about him. So let's listen into what they're going to tell us about who this child is. Um, and we'll look at Simeon's song first. But, but first, even before we do that, look back at verse 26. It says, It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay. This is why a lot of people assume or, or suggest that Simeon was probably an old man who was nearing the end of his life. Um, that's, that's a very likely possibility. But he had been told by the Spirit that he would not die until he would see the Lord's Christ. Okay? That's the entirety of his bucket list. Right? He wants to see the Christ. It's clearly, Jesus is presented here as the Christ, which is the same as the Jewish concept of the Messiah, the one who was choice, chosen by God to be king and priest over his people forever. Okay. In verse 28, Simeon takes Jesus up in his arms and he blesses God. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is telling us as the Christ, Jesus is bringing salvation to us. And, it's, and it is for all peoples, not just for Israel, though it is surely for Israel, but it's also he's a light to the Gentiles or you could say the nations as well he's more than Israel's king he's the king of the nations and this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah and the other prophets predicted long long before Isaiah says in chapter 49 of the Messiah I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth so when we hear about Tyler and Lauren riding out to the remote villages of China to speak of Christ to a people where his story has never been told before. This is exactly what's envisioned here. He is the light for those people, for all the nations, to the ends of the earth. Okay. Verse 33, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him understandably and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed and and Simeon now tells Mary that the little one that she's holding in her arms is going to bring suffering and division to many and he's going to be greatly opposed Essentially, he says, if you reject him, you will fall. If you embrace him, you will rise. Jesus is this great division that comes into the world. Okay, this, is not, this is not Sunday school Jesus who's nice to everyone and everyone always loves him. That's Santa. 
But he, Santa has a naughty list, I guess. So um, Jesus comes and he's divisive. And you see that as the way people respond to him in the Gospels. What you believe about Jesus will determine whether you fall under God's judgment or rise under his mercy. Jesus is divisive and he is decisive. What do you believe about Jesus? And he says Mary too will suffer as she watches this division amongst the hearts of men nail her son's hands and feet to that cross. I'd like for us to look at how it is that Simeon and Anna both respond to the recognition that this is the Christ who's bringing the salvation of God. Um, First, let's look at Simeon in verse 28. Again, he took the baby up in his arms, he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's good to go. He has seen the Christ, the very salvation of God, and that is all he had on his bucket list. After that, he's ready to go in peace. It is his great satisfaction to see the Christ. Why would that be enough? Why would seeing this child be enough for him? And I think it's because Simeon understands who this child is, that he is the Christ, the anointed king of God who is bringing in his kingdom. And the scriptures, especially the prophets, describe in detail what his kingdom will be like. Um, One example, which is not from the prophets, is in Revelation 21. We read it often, and it describes the kingdom. the the fullness of it that Christ is bringing to us. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Simeon knows who this child is. He's a long-awaited king. And he's bringing this kingdom to the earth. He's the long-awaited Christ, the king. And he brings a kingdom where there will be no sorrow. There will be no pain. There will be no death. What he's saying is all of the consequences of sin will be absent from this kingdom that Christ is bringing. Of course, it's, you read it and you think, but it's not, it, this hasn't happened yet. And the fullness of it waits for us. But when I think about the kingdom of God, um, I think of it, and hear, hear me out, um, this is probably not the most theologically kosher 
illustration. I think of the kingdom of God like a giant water balloon. Right? Isn't that what you guys think of when you think of the kingdom of God? I think of this giant, I mean like a ginormous water balloon. And the spirit of God, often in response to the prayers of God's people, is poking holes in this water balloon. And the blessings of the kingdom are coming down upon God's people. And so, and so from time to time, they, they spill out on us and we have a healing. And we have a couple who's been, whose marriage is about to come to part and it's restored. And we have someone who comes to faith in Christ. And we, we see beauty. And the kingdom drips down and we see a sunset or we see a, a male cardinal on the bird feeder who's so bright against the snow, or you swoop up a child in your arms and you act like a two-year-old yourself. Um, see, this is the kingdom of God. Just little drips, little splashes of it coming down amongst us. And there will come a day when the Spirit of God is going to tear that balloon wide open and we're going to be washed fully the whole world is going to be renewed by the blessings of the mercy and the power of the king and his kingdom when he returns. Okay. So the kingdom of God is like a water balloon. And when that day comes, when there's no pain and there's no sorrow, there's no mourning, that means there will be the fullness of health and vitality and joy. Um, that'll be enough for us on that day, don't you think? That will be enough for us. And Simeon knows that this good and powerful king who is bringing that kingdom has come at last. And it's enough for him. It's the only thing that is on his bucket list. And so when you hear about Simeon's longing for Christ, does that resonate with you? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Is that even on your bucket list? I want to know Christ better. I want to see him one day, face to face. I suppose you could think about that in a couple of different ways, maybe in a day-in and day-out kind of way. Does getting to know Jesus better shape your days? Does it ever shape your days? Such that you would, in the course of a day, you would set aside time to wait for him and to seek him and to long for him. Is that ever part of your day? I wonder... As we think about a new year, would you, as part of your new year, consider putting a time of waiting into your day? A lot of people start their day that way, and they sit with the scriptures open, and they seek God. You could also do it in, in, a, in a more of a kind of forever kind of way, because Jesus is coming back, you know. It's amongst his clearest promises. In Matthew 24, he says, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming. He's coming back at an hour you do not expect. And 
Honestly, this, this truth, when I became a Christian, when I was in high school and I became a follower of Christ, this, um, this teaching that Jesus was coming back and I would, get, I would get to be with him was really important to me as a new Christian. Um, it was so important that I got me one of these babies. Um, that is a genuine bona fide uh, 1970s, according to Etsy, 1970s um, era Maranatha belt buckle. And uh, you can see it's pretty big. I had me a Mar- I'm not kidding you. I had me a Maranatha belt buckle. Maranatha is the way Paul ended the book of 1 Corinthians. With the, it's a prayer. It's, a, it's a, one of those um, breath prayers, one of those um, prayers you kind of cry out with. And it just means, come, Lord. That's all it means. And Paul ends his letter that way. So I got me a Maranatha belt buckle, which I then bequeathed to Noah Joyner, so you can watch in the next couple weeks and see if Noah is wearing his Maranatha belt buckle. Um, but you know, that longing that was so, so uh, precious to me that I wore it on my belt buckle for a couple of years when I was in high school, um, it kind of wanes over time. Seems like it's easy to let that longing atrophy. Um, And so I wonder, do you look forward to the return of Christ? Do you believe his promise that he's coming back at an unpredictable time that we should be ready for? I'm not suggesting that we accessorize with Maranatha gear like this Maranatha water bottle or this Maranatha tumbler or even this Maranatha peanut butter. Um, But I I would say, this year, when you see something beautiful, and it's so beautiful that you want more of it, see, what's happening in that moment is you're experiencing the beauty of God and the mercy of God because the Spirit has poked a hole in that balloon and it splashed down on you. And when that happens to you, whether whether you're holding your newborn or whether you're playing with your grandchild or you're you got an A on an exam or you see a sunset that's unbelievable, I wonder if you would just stop and pray, Maranatha, come Lord. I look forward to the day when this is what life is like. No more suffering, no more pain, no more death because there's no more sin. Or on a day when your suffering seems unbearable, would you then pray, Lord, come. Maranatha, Lord, come. And this is the beauty of praying the Lord's Prayer. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, when you actually use the words that Jesus taught us to pray, and you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you're praying not just for the kingdom to come, but for the king to come. Simeon's response challenges us to long for Christ daily and ultimately. And Anna's response is equally uh, beautiful and instructive for us. In verse 36, she was a prophetess. Her name was Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer 
day and night and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna is old. She's a prophetess. And again, you see women with prominent roles in this story of the coming of Christ and heralding his coming and sharing it. Um, she's a prophetess and she's old. She is really old. The way um, that this translation renders it, she's 84 years old. But a lot of commentators think you should add the numbers up together and that she was, um, after she was a virgin, probably at age 14, she was married for seven years and then she was a widow for 84 years. So you do the math and Anna could be 105. Okay, she's really old. Um, and it says here that she's devout, just like Simeon. She's devout. So she's always in the temple. It's not, it's not that she lived in the temple. I don't think that's what they're saying here. And just like she doesn't fast every day and night, that's not a very sustainable way to live if you're going to fast every day, always day and night. Um, but I think it's like someone says of a friend of yours, oh, he's a gym rat. He's in the gym morning, noon, and night. Doesn't mean that he's always there every morning, noon, and night. He's often in the gym. It marks his life that he's in the gym. Or if you would say of somebody, they're in the church every time the door is open. They're not actually here every time the door is open. It's just a way of saying they're here a lot. Church marks their life. They're devoted to that practice. And so Anna, old Anna, was devoted to the worship of God in the temple. And she says that she's there right at that hour when they bring Jesus in and Simeon sings his song. And I imagine that she overheard that song and she does two things. She gives thanks to God because the Christ, the Messiah, that long-awaited king has come to redeem his people, to free them from their suffering and sorrow and to make all things new. And then it says, she shares this news. She shares this best of news with others who are also waiting. She tells others who are suffering under Roman oppression, who are suffering under disease, who are suffering under, under their sin, um, that their king has come. And if you bump these two things together, it kind of looks like this. If you sing Simeon's song, you ought to share like Anna. If you really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited king, and he's bringing this kind of king, kingdom, then we ought to share that news with those who are waiting to hear it. Um, and so this coming year, I wonder if you would join me in praying regularly and ask God for an open door to speak of Christ to someone. I don't know if you're in the practice of praying that. It's a biblical prayer. The Apostle Paul asked people to pray that for him. Pray for an open door to speak of Christ to someone where you work or in your family or in your neighborhood or on your team or um, wherever you are. If you are like most Christians, you don't speak of Christ much. But if you will join me in praying for an open door, then you should get ready because God loves to answer that prayer. You're going to have an opportunity, some really significant opportunities this year to, to share your faith in Christ. Um, 
And so you should be ready to speak. You should get some training. You should ask Rob or maybe Jake to get resources to come into your small group and equip you guys to speak of Christ. So you're ready to share what difference Christ means to you. You're ready to share who Christ is and how someone could come to know him. Be prepared to share like Anna when God opens the door to your friend's life. Because if you sing, if you sing Simeon's song, then, then you really ought to share like Anna. And their love for Christ this morning is what leads us to the communion table. Um, that we want to gather around this table and confess Jesus to be the Christ, our King, our salvation. And like Anna, we want to just want to give thanks to God. To close our year by giving thanks to God for all that Christ is and brings to us. Um, the communion table at Northwake is open to anyone who's a follower of Christ who's walking in fellowship with him. That means that you do believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is your savior, and that you are following him, that you're walking in fellowship with him. That is, that you are not cherishing and holding on to sin that you will not repent of. And so if those two things are true of you, if you know Christ and you are willing to repent of your sin, then this table is open for you and we invite you to come and share it with us even as we do now. Because we remember together that on the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he said, this, this is my body. It is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant that is in my blood. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And he asked us to do this also in remembrance of him. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, now we remember you even as you have taught us. Remember your body broken and your blood poured out. Remember that you are our salvation. You are the Christ, the chosen one of God. And we give thanks to you as we remember how great your love is for us how long and wide and high and deep your love is for us, that you should even give your life that we can be adopted as God's children. And so Jesus, um, take joy in our worship now as we remember you together as your people.
tasted and seen of your goodness healing in your flame Jesus I have no words except for your name I've wondered in all at your goodness healing in your flame
you finish, you can stand and praise us. Should.